Just by way of introduction, I've been reading a history book called The Reformation of England. I'm in volume two. It was written in 1850s. It was published by Banner of Truth, if you ever want to look at it. It's, it's just very uh, insightful. Thomas Kramer, who was one of my heroes, uh, because he had gone to the stake for his religion, for his belief in Jesus Christ, he said this in 1535, if we possess the Holy Scriptures, which you have on your lap, we have at hand a remedy for every disease. Beset as we are with tribulations and temptations, where can we find arms to overcome them? In Scripture. He said that in 1535. I don't know that he even knew all of the ailments that could possibly be invented by man. And man continues to invent ailments. Now, I'm not talking about biological issues, okay? Uh, Those things uh, are out there. Now, Thomas Kramer, when he said that, didn't have an English Bible sitting in his lap. He knew Latin, he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, and that's how he studied it. Uh, Tyndale hadn't gotten there with all of the English Bibles yet. So he's saying that knowing what God's Word has to say. When talking of ailments, we are referring to biological, not to, uh, to biological ailments. I want you to understand that such as diabetes or heart disease or those kinds of things necessarily. I am speaking of the ailments that have been invented by man and specifically the pharmacological and psychological elements of this world. While anxiety, fear, loneliness, depression are spoken of in the Bible, the ailments of today like chemical imbalance or bipolar are defined and invented by mankind, by psychologists, psychiatrists, and pharmacology. All of that kind of strange behavior that happens in humans is now defined their way. Biblically, though, we can look at those particular issues when we go to Scripture. Would you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 7? And folks, I am going to be going and moving around, so... uh, You will uh, need to keep moving if you would like. We're going to look at the real heart issue because our sins are ailments of behavior come from within. And it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, for from within, out of the heart, by the way, this is Jesus speaking, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. These things come from within the person. I get angry. I can't say it's you who made me angry. It's me who makes me angry. I'm lonely. I can't say it's you who make me lonely. It's me who makes me lonely what's going on in my mind, what I'm thinking. Now, as we approach these particular ailments that we're talking about, there are two different approaches. Behavior comes within or it's outside of us. What causes us to act oddly? You say something like ODD. Do you know what ODD is? Oppositional Defiant Disorder. Children are now diagnosed with ODD. 
And you know what, folks? I don't think it's at all odd that children defy their parents. They've been doing it since Adam and Eve. So it's not something that's different. It's there all the time. They now have put a label on it, but they put a label on it so that they can give you some pharmacology. They can give you something else to handle it. And so ODD, ADD, ADHD, all of those various things, uh, they invent those things so they can give you drugs to take care of those things. And in reality, those things don't take care of the issue. They sometimes make it worse. I need to make some fundamental explanations. We at Grace Community Church are actively involved in discipleship counseling. That's what I do. That's where I live. That's what I love. Uh, and we teach that every single year. We start in, used to start in September. We're going to move it up to uh, August. And so in August, we're going to begin to teach on Tuesday nights, uh, the discipleship counseling class. We use that to give people the ammunition, the help, the encouragement that, you know what, you can help your brother, you can help your sister, you can help your cousin, you can help all kinds of people. You can help people in the body of Christ because you now can use the word of God to speak into the issues that they have, the various issues that they have. So that's what we do here at Grace Community Church. It's called discipleship counseling, biblical counseling. Some folks use nuthetic, but then everybody always asks, what in the world is that word? And uh, nuthetic happens to be a Greek word that means warning, admonition. That's what that word means. But uh, rather than have to go through that explanation, we don't use it anymore. (laughs) We want to help people. That's what we want to do. We want to help people. We care about people. We love people. Matter of fact, somebody came up to me yesterday at at the wedding and said, Pastor, da-da-da, and they went through their whole issue. And I said, we want to help you. Here's my card. Call me. Call me. We want to do that. So what kind of problems then specifically or ailments are we speaking of? Is it anxiety, fear, enslavements, such as addictions? That's what the world calls it. Is it anger, depression? Anything that you can find in the DSM-5, I brought it with me. This here is a Bible, but it's a Bible of the world. It's a Bible of psychiatrists and psychologists. Uh, This is what they use to define who you are, what you do, rather than this, which is from God. So we have our choices. Which one do we want to follow? And that's the bottom line. Now, some of you may have already gone to this direction. Folks, still can be helpful that we take you in the other direction. I know it can be helpful to take you in the other direction. So just realize this is the beginning. I should say this is the end of the DSM-5. I bring out the DSM-5 because that is the tool of psychiatry, psychology, and that's how they diagnose patients. They ask you about how do you handle yourself in this particular situation, one particular mom in this room, as a matter of fact. Her child was out of control and I went up to her and I said, can, can I help you? I put, you know, tried to help her with the, the child. And she said, well, he has ADD or ADHD or whatever that is. And I said, oh, really? How was that diagnosed? Took blood, urine. Maybe they took a, a, a spinal tap. None of that was used 
To me, that's science, right? What they asked was, what, what she said was, the doctor asked him to walk down the hallway in his office and walk back. And when he started touching the walls and doing other things, he has ADD. That does not sound like science to me, folks. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. So what, so does the Bible call it? What does the Bible call it? I call it sin. The Bible calls it sin. We should all call it sin. Do you know what? If we call it sin, we can actually help the person. When we say it's a disease, then they have to take drugs for the rest of their life, and it never gets taken care of. What happens, though, in the Christian world? Some churches, as a matter of fact, begin to take that psychology, psychiatry, and they take that DSM-5 and they put them together. It's like oil and water. It's like dark and light, and they put them together and they think they're going to get something that can help people. And folks, that's not what happens. The integrationist blends God's word with psychological hypothesis. Let's uh, take this to what would happen if they were around when King David was alive. If you want to, you can turn to 2 Samuel, but I'm redefining that whole passage. But 2 Samuel 12 speaks of this when Nathan was sent by God to go confront David in what? His adulteries. And this is what Nathan would have said, would have said, had he been an integrationist or a psychologist, he would have said to David, then the integrationist came to Nathan, uh, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, you were denied your feelings in your youth, and you have built up resentment towards your father and your brothers. You have been victimized by their uh, denial, and your past hurts have led you to poor self-image. You should get into a 12-step program for your sexual addiction. Nathan would also tell David that he did those things with Bathsheba because he was unconsciously responding to unhealed memories that years of therapy at 80 shekels a half an hour will cure. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what would have happened had he been there. Folks, Psychology is in competition, in a sense, with the Christian, with the Bible. That's what it is. It's the anti-soul care is what it is. The Christian psychologist's goal in reality is to, in life, is to make you more happy, not more holy. You come to my office, I'm not going to make you happy. You know, I have, I have used up many, many, many tissue boxes in my office, and I'm not the one crying. But people do come in there, and they do cry. But guess what? They go out of there, and they realize, this is what I ought to be doing as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Begin to do those things, and you know what? Some of those folks are counseling for me now. Some of those folks are helping me out now. The Christian psychologist's reality is just to make you happy. I've got another illustration. I hope you don't mind. There is this very kind, compassionate, and caring doctor that works in the local emergency room. 
He is sympathetic to the pain and suffering of people. He does not like to see people in pain and and he feels that it's his job and his place to relieve the man or the woman who comes in who's brought into the emergency room with severe pain. He wants to take care of them. He then gives them a shot of morphine and immediately gives them relief and they feel better. You may say, there is nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that is what I would want if I was brought to the emergency room in pain. The kind of action that this doctor just took made the patient comfortable, made him happier, and he's no longer suffering. But ladies and gentlemen, this would be called a criminal act in a court of law. It is criminal because to merely remove the symptom without discovering the cause of the symptom is a tragic, tragic disservice to the patient. A symptom, after all, is a manifestation of a problem that's going on deeper, something more significant, and it's valuable to find out what that symptom is coming from, where it's coming from. It's through examination of the symptoms that give rise to the problem, and that gives us the ability to come to a solution. At best, giving the morphine without discovering the problem will do more harm to the patient the problem is still there. And then if it's something like an appendix or a gallbladder, he just signed their death warrant. You see, if you cover it over without uncovering what's in the heart, you sign that death warrant rather than taking care of the problem. The problem with the person who has anger, anxiety, depression, or a myriad of other ailments never has a medical exam to find out where and what may cause those issues. They are just dispensed drugs to handle the symptoms. That's what they hear is the symptoms, and they're just given those drugs to handle those things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, and it's in a book called Seeing with New Eyes. He said this about, I'm sorry, David Pallison quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer because they didn't live at the same time. (laughs) The most experienced psychologist or observer of human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Christ. The greatest psychological insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing, what sin is. Worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the godlessness of man, and so it does not know that man is destroyed by sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. William Kirk Kilpatrick said this in Psychological Seduction. He said, true Christianity does not mix well with psychology. When you try to mix them, you often end up with a watered-down Christianity instead of a Christianized psychology. But the process is subtle and is rarely, rarely noticed. You know, the church of Jesus Christ today has that same problem. Sometimes people come into the church and begin to take it away from the Word of God. That's why even today I'm I'm so grateful to be here at Grace Church because it stands on the Word of God. It has not moved away from that. But so often people come in and, and begin to take it away from that. The stakes are high. Pastors continue to outsource their pastoral care of God's people to professionals. 
tell you this story. I went to visit a local church here. It's a fairly good-sized church. And I, I got to know one of the pastors, and so I'm sitting down at a cup of coffee, and I said to him, so, what do you do when somebody has trouble with depression or something like that, anxiety? He says, we'll see them once, and then we give them a referral. I got to tell you, folks, I, I'm not a gentle kind of guy. I was born in New York City, so watch out. I said to him, so what you're doing then is not shepherding the people that God has given to you. He was a little insulted by that, but I didn't give up. I wanted him to be insulted all the way. (laughs) Folks, that's not pastoral care. That's not soul care. You're giving them to someone else. Even if they call themselves Christian, they're still going to be using the devices of the world rather than God's devices. So the question then comes, if the Bible is really sufficient, and that's what we're here for today, to meet man's needs, why do I need psychology? Or another question, if psychology is sufficient, why do I need God or the Bible? If that's sufficient, what in the world could God have been thinking, giving us Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and waiting 1,800 years to give us Sigmund Freud? I mean, think about it, folks. 1,850 years, something like that. You see, the root or the foundation of psychology is in the mind of the unsaved. We're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we putting ourselves underneath them? And and I'm going to hope that there's nobody here that's done that or is doing that, but that's what that is. 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man doesn't do that, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. You see, the unbelieving psychologist cannot help the believer grow in godliness in mind or behavior. It's impossible. Why then would a believer put themselves underneath them to try to find the answer to their particular problems? Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says this, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, but it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's unable to do so. They want to put their mind underneath the things of the world, the flesh. Some Christians think they can investigate and stay within the bounds of biblical wisdom. And they um, are called the Christian psychologist. I've been doing this for a lot of years. I'm thinking it's about 10 years ago. I had a Christian psychologist take all three levels of the discipleship counseling class. That's 36 weeks, folks. 36 weeks. At about week 30, he writes his paper that I have for that particular section, and he says, Bill Shannon has ruined my life. (laughs) He did. And I said, you know what? I wrote back to him, and I said, since I ruined your life, let's at least go to lunch and celebrate. No, I didn't say celebrate. (laughs) Let's find out what I did. I mean, hey, I could have done that. So we go out to lunch. We actually went over here to Coco's. And we sat down and I asked him, how did I ruin your life? He said, well, for 30 years, I've been a clinical psychiatrist and I've never, psychologist, and I've never helped anyone. And now I know why. 
Now I know why. Because I've been using the world's methods, not God's methods. And, and, I, and, he, and I said, oh, I love somebody like you. Would you please stay here at Grace Church? Because he was not at Grace Church. But I want you to come to Grace Church. I want you to stay here. Because you see, he has those little things at the end of his name, you know, with the degrees. I don't have that. All I've got is Bill Shannon. But he has those things at the end of his name. And he says, no, I'm sorry, but I'm already going to move to Texas. Everybody's moving to Texas. The Christian psychologist accepts and promotes the theories of unsaved men. That's what they do. Freud, Rogers, Adler, Maslow, Skinner, all of these various men. These theories in this particular time add up to about 500 different approaches of how to solve your problem. When I was a, when I was a kid, I had a golf course. I was a caddy. One of the members' sons and I became friends. So we go play golf together. He was fairly good. <laughs> That was fairly bad. Anyway, we, uh, we got together, and he said he had learned this new way of handling tension. And I said, what is that? He said it's called scream theology, uh, scream um, therapy. Thank you. Scream therapy. So we get to the golf course, and we sit in the car, and the both of us scream our bloody heads off. Do you know he still shot the same that he always shot, and so did I. So I guess that therapy doesn't help. But that was something he learned at Brown University when he went there. With a psychologist, truth is changeable. Truth is changeable with a psychologist. New truth replaces the old truth. It's just something different. I showed you the DSM-5. Do you know in the DSM-4, homosexuality was a disease. I'm serious. You can go back to DSM-4 and take a look at it. DSM-5, it doesn't even show up, but it's celebrated today. That's what happens in psychology. A disease disappears. Could you imagine that? You've heard the saying, all truth is God's truth. What happens when you take two psychologists and they handle the patient, and they handle them two different ways. Which one is truth and which one is not? There can't be two different approaches to truth. There can only be one truth. Friends, if the truth, it must be measured against the true truth of God's infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word, His all-sufficient word. That's what it needs to be measured against. When the Christian psychologist adds these contradictory truths to God's word, there's a very profound danger of replacing God's truth with error. This weakens, this distorts the word of God. It's an attack, if you want to know, on the word of God. Jay Adams had a few things to say about this in a little booklet that he uh, wrote called, Is All Truth God's Truth? Quote, he says this, their confidence, that is the integration, this is based upon a theory of revelation which is untenable. Many unsuspecting Christians have been lured into accepting the fallacious view that since all truth is God's truth, it is perfectly acceptable to look for God's truth in writings of unbelieving psychologists and psychiatrists. 
So the question is, that's a very profound question. Did God lie to us? I mean, I think you, get, you have to ask yourself that question. Did God lie to us when he wrote this in 2 Peter 1.3? Why don't you open up your Bibles there? 2 Peter 1.3. Peter, obviously, is the writer here. God is the one who's behind him, inspiring him, obviously, Holy Spirit. And in 2 Peter 1.3, it says, seeing that his divine power has granted every, to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Folks, he either has or he hasn't. He either has or he hasn't. He's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Folks, that's what we have is the truth of God's word. It is sufficient for us. It is enough. We don't need any magic from others. The bottom line in the psychologist's agenda is again to make you happy, make you feel good. My agenda is to make you holy to the glory of God. The psychologist openly opposes the truth of God's word by saying that God's worth is not sufficient. And I have heard that and read that out of the mouth of professors in Christian uh, colleges and seminaries that say God's word is not enough. Then after I'm sick, I put myself back together and I got to tell you folks, if I hear that, why am I reading this thing all the time? Why am I studying this all the time? Why am I trusting in this all the time? It's sad because they call themselves Christians. The psychologist openly opposes the truth of God's word. There's a fairly famous pastor. His name is John MacArthur. I think some of you have heard of him. He wrote this, and I always like to quote this pastor. Somehow it's job security. I don't know. one of the basic assumptions of modern psychology is that people exist for their own satisfaction. The primary goal of life then is for people to have all their perceived needs and desires met. Only then will they be happy, content, and fulfilled. That's not my Bible. That's not the way I see my Bible. Why don't you up to 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. When I walked in, the men wanted to know what was the scripture I was going to use. Well, there's all kinds of scriptures that I would use. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I think is, encapsulates all what this seminar is supposed to be about. God's word doesn't need anything else. Doesn't need affirmation from me, doesn't mean, need anything else. It stands on its own. And it says there, all scripture is inspired. That means breathed out by God. It is or it isn't, folks. The night I got saved 38 years ago, I said to myself, if there's, I find anything wrong in here, okay, then none of it's right. I got saved in October, and I read it from October to December, read the whole thing. I didn't find anything wrong because there was a whole lot that I didn't even know yet. But I've been still doing it for 38 years, and I still can't find anything wrong. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? Teaching, 
for reproof, that means I can confront you in your sin, for correction, for training and righteousness. This is where we want to go. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It is or it isn't. To continue in job security, John Mack also said this, the church's current preoccupation with psychology, for example, substitutes man-centered approaches for biblical teaching or biblical truth in dealing with problems. The common assertion is that the Holy Spirit and God's Word deal with problems simplistically and superficially, whereas psychotherapy gets to the hidden issues and affects genuine deep-seated healing in an individual's life. But psychology's viewpoint turns the truth on its head. In reality, it is the superficial solution to spiritual needs, but the Spirit utilizing the Word and prayer provides deep, effective, and lasting spiritual solutions to believers' difficulties. I believe that, not just because he said it. If problems arise and hamper your spiritual growth as a believer, would you rather go to a psychologist or direction from the Word of God? And even when put in clear contrary choice, Some still believe the wisdom of the world. Why do people believe the wisdom of the world? Shut off your television. Don't listen to the advertisements. That's where you find it. But it's not only there, but you hear it, if we ever went back to the office, when you get to the coffee room and where with the people that you work with. Or not there, just your relatives, because your relatives see that you've got a problem. Well, then you need to go see a doctor. You got to go see a doctor. Many voices are speaking into our hearts and minds. Educational institutions, co-workers, media, all kinds. Family even. They point you in the direction of the psychologist the trusty psychologist who wants to get his 80 shekels a half an hour will then reach for his DSM-5 and say, oh, you have this, 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 and this. You must be bipolar. You must be, oh, oh, no, no, you're manic depressive. Oh, oh, this is what you are. Just by those behaviors, not by taking blood, urine, spinal tap, or anything like that. Richard Gans in his uh, book called Psychobabble, so you get an idea where that's coming from, said this, quote, clinical psychology comes to no consensus in its view of human beings. With one critical exception, it is unified in its belief that people are free from God. That's all that matters. Get just be free from God. There is no God in psychology. They are the God, small g. Biblical truth is God-centered, folks. Psychology is man-centered. Theocentric as opposed to anthropocentric. One is about the glory of God and the other is about self-image, self-worth, my pains, my aches, all of this kind of stuff. There's a mad dash to secular psychology. could be the most serious threat to biblical churches today. I got to tell you, it is rampant out there, folks. 
You know why? Because their pastors are not giving them the answer. Their pastors are too busy. How can you be too busy for God's people? How could you be too busy for God's people? There are no truly unique problems in this modern world that we encounter. They can all be handled by the word of life, by the word of God. Anything that happens today is dealt with in the scriptures. And I know you're going to come up with some real far out things, but they're handled in the scriptures. Anything that happens in our world today can be handled by that. Whether the problem is sexual in nature, physical abuse, addictions, self-esteem, jealousy, anger, depression, and any other so-called psychological problem. Some have tried to stump the biblical counselor with the idea that schizophrenia is some outlandish, something outlandish, and the Bible doesn't handle it. Folks, I'm going to give you an assignment tonight. Find at least one schizophrenic in the Bible. You'll find more than one in the Bible. They just didn't diagnose it, schizophrenia. My answer initially is to say that you mean God gave us something we cannot discern biblically? Richard Gans, in that book, Psychobabble, tells of this particular experiment that was done, 1973. If you weren't born then, you need to listen real well. And if you were born before that, you need to listen well too. (laughs) Richard Gans said this. He says, uh, he's relating a story that this Dr. Rosenhan, a professor of psychology at Stanford University, did. He sent out a dozen of his friends to the various hospitals in the area of San Francisco in that area, and they said to the hospital, I feel empty, I feel hollow. They were all put in the hospital as schizophrenics just because they said those words. I feel hollow, I feel empty. The length of stay in the hospital was anywhere from 7 to 52 days. And at the end of their release, it was confirmed that they were all schizophrenics. Some said, uh, some of the people that were released were schizophrenics in denial. Because now, once they got in the hospital, they just acted the right way. Some started writing about it and their experiences, and schizophrenic, um, obsessive and compulsive (laughs) schizophrenics. Folks, That's only about watching behavior, nothing else. One release, they all retained a diagnosis schizophrenic with the added note, in remission. (laughs) Oh, folks, we listen to these things, we hear these things, we see these things, and, and it should tell us all, run. Pastor John MacArthur said this, not only do psychologists sell supposed cures for a high price, but they also invent diseases for which the cures are needed. Their marketing strategy has been effective. Invent problems or difficulties, harp on them until people think they are hopelessly afflicted, then peddle a remedy. Some of the supposed problems are pathetically trite. And folks, that's what they do. I have another book in here that I just picked up a few weeks ago. The Chemical Imbalance Delusion. Many folks are diagnosed with chemical imbalance. I sat back in a, 
in an educational institution. I raised my hand. What chemical? I asked the lecturer. I said, we don't know. I said, wouldn't it be good to know what chemical it is before you say, is that a balance? Well, we don't know. Folks, they've been looking for 60 years. Do you know they still haven't found it? That doesn't sound like science to me. That doesn't sound like science to me. It's like the world of evolution has taken over. And they want you to believe in this evolutionary trail that was supposed to go down. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul makes this appeal. And and he's telling us what he does in verse 28. He says, we proclaim him. Admonishing, nutheto is the particular Greek word that's used there. That means confronting every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Now, I haven't seen anyone wearing a sign on the back, please confront me when you see me in sin. But you know, as brothers and sisters, we should be holding one another up if we see them in sin. We should be confronting them. When my oldest daughter came to Christ and, and I, I baptized her, I says, we're, no, we're not just father and daughter. We are now brother and sister. And if you see your dad in sin, I want you to confront him. That's what we ought to be doing as the body of Christ. And I don't mean just slapping people around. You're there to help them, put a hand out and help them. But Paul continues and he says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Folks, if you're diagnosed with one of those other ailments by a psychologist and you start taking drugs, guess what? You don't get complete in Christ. It is an impossibility in most cases to become complete in Christ. And I love what Paul goes on there. And he says, for this purpose also I labor. Agonizomai is what Paul did. Night and day, agonizomai. Striving according to his power, which mightily works in me, meaning the Holy Spirit is doing the work. Folks, that's what we have. We have the almighty power of God to be able to help people. You know what? I I still what, 32 years on staff here? I've never helped a person. Never helped a person. God does the work. I'm just an instrument. I'm like the fork for the meal, you know, those kinds of things. I'm just an instrument. God uses me in various situations and the people that we've trained. Well, that's what what Paul has to to say there for us. So, How do we do that and how do we use the Bible? I know you were asking that question because I could see some of those question marks popping up there. Why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 4? The Bible begins to discern the issues of the heart, what's going on. Why do I get angry? Why do I get anxious? Why do I feel lonely? Why am I bipolar or whatever? You know, those kinds of things. 
This is what the Bible does in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God, for the word of God is living. It's still alive today and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, my actions, your actions, come from your heart. When I was a little guy, got into a lot of fights in the playground. One time the teacher asked me, why why do you do that? I said, my fist was just out there. He ran into it. (laughs) Not not just a liar, but also uh, somebody who would hurt someone else. Well, what's the thought and intention of that heart of that little guy growing up? Why would he do that? Does anybody check those things out of why? See, all of those things are important, folks. But the psychologist is going to just dispense drugs, 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 and to try to make you feel better, happy. We want to get to the thought of the heart. What's going on there? Why are they making those decisions and choices? And and what is the intention of the heart? So that's what the Bible does. Biblical counseling uses God's word by the Holy Spirit to change those desires to make sure that they're biblical desires. They're not selfish desires. The Bible is used to change the thinking and to change the behavior. You see, true salvation produced by God will not fail to bring forth good works. There'll be fruit. And I can tell you many, 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 many times as I'm counseling with somebody, the, the man or the woman will say to me, Pastor, do you believe that I'm a Christian? They haven't produced fruit that I could see. And I say, you know what? I don't know. I just don't see fruit. I'm going to give you this story. You'll probably hear it if you come to the counseling class. Counseled with this couple for 40 times. I was frustrated early on. This has got to be 28, 29 years ago. So I called up my old friend, Bob Smith. I said, I'm stuck. I've got this couple that I've been counseling with over and over again with this marriage, and it doesn't seem to go anywhere. I I meet with the guy for breakfast sometimes, and we talk to him, look, just fix the toilet. Maybe she'll leave you alone. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Bob Smith says to me, Bill, do you think that they're Christians? I said, Bob, they got to be Christians. They go to Grace Church. I'm not finished. (laughs) They go to my Sunday school class. And Bob, on top of that, they come back on Sunday evening. He says, Bill, do you know if they're Christians? Wow. I I went into prayer and and, and I wanted to know, God, I, I need to know. So my next time to see them, I have a plan. I go to... Galatians chapter 5, and I take them to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I say, in your marriage, do you have that? I got no, 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 no. 18 no's. I then went to the deeds of the flesh, a couple of verses ahead of that. Dissension, 
All of these kinds of things are in there. And yes, 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 yes. I said, you know, at the end of that verse, it says, and those who practice these things will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I fear for your salvation. I fear for your future. I don't know, but I fear for it. The man looks at me straight in the eye and he says, Bill, all you are is a fruit picker. That's what he said to me. I gotta tell you, you say that to me, I'm on my knees begging God to forgive me. I wanna know who else I need to ask forgiveness from. And he calls me a fruit picker. And I said, you know, it's by God's grace this morning, I had my devotions in John 15. And Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. He was silent. Folks, just because you go to church, just because you have a Bible, just because you even come on Sunday evening does not make you saved. And sometimes it is that declaration that happens in the counseling room where people say to me, you know what? Thank you. I think I just got saved. That's an exciting ministry. My son-in-law used to be the local outreach pastor where Mike Riccardi is now. And I told him, I said, I think I do more um, evangelism than you do. (laughs) Because it happens right there in the counseling room. Some people don't know that they're not saved. They don't know what sanctification is. And that's what biblical counseling is. It's sanctification. It's about being sanctified, about God using his word. This is what happens. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You, you know the beginning passage of Ephesians 2. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, all of those kinds of things. But God, I love that, but God. I love what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones did with that. He, he preached six messages on but. How do you do that? But God, and then all of that, once you get the grace of God and and the affirmation that you're a believer, it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not working for salvation, but after we are saved, that's what happens and we help others. That's what it's about. I, I wanna see everyone in here helping others. Do you know what happens? Multiplication, boom, boom, over and over and over again. God prepared those. Now we are to walk in them. That's what we're supposed to be doing as believers. Let's go to another passage. Again, I I told you from the beginning, we're going to go to a lot of different places. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I have this wife coming in and she comes to see me and, and she's got all these problems. Her husband is, is nasty to her. He doesn't touch her or anything like that. He's nasty to her. He doesn't pay any attention to the kids, gives her very little money to be able to keep the, the, the household going, all of this kind of stuff. And I got to take her to Romans chapter 8, verse uh, uh, 28. And I said, for we know that God causes all things, all those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. He does that. I, it's so hard to say that to a woman who's in that kind of pain. I feel terrible having to tell her. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good? Are you serious? 
I like to tiptoe around that because I'm a, I, I, how can I go there? We've got a lady in my office. I'm supposed to be nice to them. I mean, guys I slap around, but I mean, the ladies I want to be nice to. Folks, this is true as well. For those who find themselves in those difficult situations, because we see in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Were they nice to Jesus when he was here? <laughs> no, you go back to First Peter, which we've been doing on Sunday evening for the Christians that come on Sunday evening. <laughs> that Jesus suffered. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was punished cruelly, terribly but for your soul. And, and I don't know what's happening with that poor woman. And, and again, I've made this woman up, by the way. She's not there. I, and somebody say, but Bill, you're talking about so-and-so. I, I don't even know who so-and-so is. So please, don't, don't, don't put me there. Sanctification is what it's about, knowing who your Savior is, walking with him for the rest of your days. Not about looking inward. And that's what psychology is going to get you to do. Look at your feelings. Look at your self-worth. Paul said it again in Philippians 3.14. Look for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I read this recently, and um, I just want to quote this for you. Antidepressants, and, and we know that they're very popular these days. I, I think if I ever watched the commercial, I probably would see in the in a program, probably six or seven commercials for antidepressants. I'm depressed just by knowing they're there. (laughs) Antidepressants are supposed to work by fixing a chemical imbalance, specifically a lack of serotonin in the brain. Indeed, their supposed effectiveness is the primary evidence of the chemical imbalance theory. But analysis of the published data and the unpublished data that were hidden by the drug companies reveals that most if not all of the benefits are due to the placebo effect. Placebo effect. And that's happened in test after test after test. They've done that with people that have been drunks, alcoholics, and they give them this drugs that supposedly cure them of that. Why does it work? It's very simple, folks. Because that person is hoping in it, is hoping in it. But what makes that person do those things is what needs to be found out so that can be dealt with, not that they're doing it. The chemical imbalance theory has been around for 50, 60 years and it still has not been proven. Let's say it is proven that the brain does change. Well, did it change before or after the beginning of the habit of doing those sins? Somebody needs to say, look, I'll I'll be the test. So cut my brain open, see what's in there, and then we'll see what happens if I... It's a joke, folks. Thank you. I had to tell you it was a joke for you to laugh. No. (laughs) So why do we use the Bible? Why do we use the Bible? I mean, that's what we're going to use here. 
You see, the Bible is the inspired, the inerrant word of God. It's the only authority that I know that I'm going to follow. It's the absolute truth in everything. It is totally sufficient to address any issue to which it speaks. And it was sufficient before Sigmund Freud. Sufficiency has to do with whether or not what God tells us is all we need or not. That is, do, I, do we trust that the Word of God has a f- sufficient element to it? Is it sufficient? But you see, this is the problem. And, and it is a, a, it's a terrible problem, folks. The propensity of man, propensity of mankind is to doubt and to substitute a lie for the truth. You see that in Romans chapter 1, 21 through 23. They want to substitute something to make them feel better. That's the immediate rather than the long range. It is one thing for lost man to do this, but it's quite another, and it's actually tragic, that a redeemed person would do this. We're not interested, folks, in changing a person's behavior. That's behavior modification or improving their emotions. That's Rogerian psychology. And we are certainly not interested in doing an exposition into someone's background to find out what problems may have caused their issue. Now, do we listen to that? And and does that have a, a factor? Of course it does. But that's not where we find our excuses either. I can't say the way I am today is because of my daddy but so many people want to do that. Well, I'll tell you who your daddy is, Romans 5, 12. Through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. It comes through sin. And Adam passed it on to us and please don't stand there and say, he made me do it. (laughs) He made me do it. No, we do that because we like doing that. That's why we do it. You see, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what biblical counseling does. Then there's truly change. There's change at the beginning, okay? Where it needs to be changed, and that's the heart. I, I need to look at my problems from that perspective. Once I start doing that, then I have a chance of growing and changing and being the person of God that he wants me to be. What are my ruling motives? Why do I do what I do? And that's what you have to take a look at. Why do I get angry because my four-year-old stands in front of the TV during the Super Bowl? Is it really necessary to get angry because your four-year-old stands in front of the TV during the Super Bowl? Who cares about football anyway? 1 Corinthians, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, For this reason we are constantly, thank God, that when we received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. As Christians, that's what we need to do. Say, this is God's word. I trust God's word. I can turn to it. 
when I have pain, when I'm in trouble. Years ago, I had a man come to me, prayer room. He said, Bill, I committed a crime in New Jersey. And he said, if I go back to New Jersey, I will be put in jail. Um, my thoughts right away, okay, that's, you're under the word of God. Romans 13 says that you need to be following what the law has to say. And why does he want to go back to, to New Jersey? His father is there and his father's not doing well. I said, you know what you need to do? Get off the plane, go right to a judge and tell the judge what you did 20 years before and take whatever punishment is to come your way. He did that. And the judge stood there and he said, I've never had anyone do that before. Not guilty. But isn't that what you did when you came to Christ? Not guilty. So remember that. Keep that in mind. You see, for the psychologist, the Bible is deficient. I, I, I hate even saying that, but I have to say it in this lecture. It just... It just it just boggles my mind that a Christian psychologist would say something like that. You see, a Christian psychologist should validate God's word, should hold it as being valuable. Not the, you wouldn't expect that of a godless psychologist, but that's what happens, the Christian or non-Christian. If psychological truth were from God, it would be truth. Yet the theories of various psychologists change almost as fast as technology today. So is psychological truth truth? Folks, this is DSM-5. There was four. There was four point something. There was three. There was two. There was one. And there will be a six before not too long. And it will change. How can that be truth? That's what we need to remember. Biblical counseling is not a generic system with scripture sprinkled over it. No, this is the word of God for people of God. Paul said this in Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding, he was speaking about psychologists. Oh, they weren't around yet. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. The Christian psychologist finds it very, very difficult to come to that understanding. By the way, that psychologist that I had, and he he moved, the next year I had a psychiatrist in my class. And I mean, he had just gotten saved. And so I had some very interesting conversations with him before he started teaching somewhere else. Again, Paul said this, being darkened. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. My favorite, out of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 9, verse 3. And it says there, from the time when Solomon was wise, at the end of his life, he said, the heart is insane. We make bad choices, folks. We have to live with those bad choices, but you know what? Do we have to continue to make those bad choices? No, we do not. We do it by changing, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You see, for counseling to be considered biblical, Scripture must be an active functional control on the methods. 
the methods that we use to change and to grow, what I talked about before in changing our thinking and changing our actions, those kinds of things. Jim Owen wrote a book a while back, Christian Psychology, Christian Psychology's War on the Word of God. And he wrote this, quote, Although Christian, psycho- uh, Christian psychology claims to integrate truth with discovered, that is, scientific truth, integration is not occurring. Integration is virtually impossible. Christian psychology sets aside the uh, historical grammatical method of interpreting Scripture and replaces it with a hermeneutic centered on pathology. That's what it's centered on. Jim Owen continued, he said this, the evangelical church has so readily and uncritically accepted Christian psychology with scarcely a murmur of protest, adding to my wonder is that Christian psychology does not hesitate, both directly and indirectly, to charge the church with massive insensitivity and failure to truly meet the needs of the people. We need to recapture the ministry of the Word of God into the lives of people. That's why Grace Church does what it does. That's why Grace Church flourishes. That's why at times this past year, I've had 40 to 60 people on the waiting list to get counseling. We're just inundated. People coming out of all the woodwork. Well, now it's not so bad because I've got a few guys involved in doing some counseling. But we need to do that. And we can do that even for other churches. Matter of fact, I know John Street is here. I offered us up to go teach at this other church. And so I said, we'll do it for nothing. And he said, well, you guys are good for nothing. No. (laughs) And they didn't want it. And I said, that's okay. I mean, I tried. Maybe there'll be another opportunity. But I want to see this other church learn to do that kind of thing. Jay Adams said this, when I say that there is no dependence on of Christian counseling on psychology, I mean just that. Long before modern psychology was even a thought, Jesus Christ was the world's wonderful counselor. In no way was his counseling dependent on the findings of psychology. It was not. If you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm in the midst of preaching over there and anchored, um, that's not an advertisement, folks. Uh, Anyway... I love that Jesus sat down to teach. That is interesting. I say that's the first counseling session right there. (laughs) Jesus sat down to teach the people. So this means all of what I've said today, we need to be driven to the text of Scripture to solve the problems of mankind. That's what we need to do is to go there. That's where we're going to obtain the knowledge to be able to help other people. The knowledge to deal with the problems that have been invented by man. Jesus Christ has the answer. I want to make sure I leave time for questions, but I want to give you this one last story. I was in India, and I was preaching, and I got finished preaching. I was there for Chris Williams. It was a pastor's conference. Got finished, and this man comes up to me, and he says, Bill, they put it in my eye. So what, what, did, what did you say? He said, they put it in my eye and they see everything that I do. Now, folks, you and I are going, what in the world is he talking about? I said, you know what? If they did do that, you should read your Bible all the time. Maybe they'll get saved. <laughs> you see, he had another reality. 
we have to live in this reality. Somebody tells me that they hear voices or they hear God speaking to them. What, what language is he using? Well, all of those kinds of things, they, they are not in reality. Let's get back to reality. And, and sometimes that happens, folks. So we have people like that come in. They're letting those things rule them rather than the word of God. You see, God sees the whole picture. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. The Alpha and the Omega. He knows all of that. If you or a counselor want a sound mind, you must be looking at things through the scriptures. You must define life as he defines life. Let me conclude soon here with what Pastor MacArthur happened to say in Our Sufficiency in Christ. This is a book from a long time ago. Pink was the color of it, or raspberry. It said this, Over the past decade, a host of evangelical psychological clinics have sprung up. Though almost all of them claim to offer biblical counsel, most merely dispense secular psychology disguised in spiritual terminology. Moreover, they are removing the counseling ministry from its proper, proper arena in, <clears throat> in the church body and conditioning Christians to think of themselves as competent to counsel. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many pastors feeling inadequate and perhaps afraid of possible malpractice litigation are perfectly willing to let professionals take over what used to be seen as vital pastoral ministry. And so that's what we are supposed to be doing as pastors, as shepherds, as elders at Grace Community Church. Know that the Word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient for you. It's sufficient for me. And it can change lives. Does it all the time? No. And I sit back and I wonder why it can only work if the Holy Spirit is there. It can only work if the person is wanting to really truly change. So I'm willing to accept some questions here. I don't know, some, somebody have a mic? Or is it just uh, stand up and me uh, repeat it? Okay, we have two mics. So if you could bring those up. Folks, these men will be uh, helping you or at least getting you the mic. Any Questions? You all want to get in and listen to John. I, I know it. Okay, there's somebody in the back there. So one, one of my questions is uh, dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ that lean heavily on to bipolar uh, diagnosis. These lean heavily on the world's conclusions. How do, how do we encourage, confront that? How do we encourage them to go to Scripture versus psychologists or Christian psychologists? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do we speak to that uh, sure. ultimately? I mean, obviously there are things. many different ways you can speak to it. First of all, I'd want to know, how long have you been taking the medication? How much has it helped? Have you seen any change? Um, and, and then I would suggest, hey, why don't you try... Grace Community Church. Not that I need anybody else to come in, but why don't you try Grace Community Church and see if they can help? Would that be a a partnership? Now, folks, I want you to know, if somebody comes in and they're taking Zoloft or or whatever it is, 
I don't tell them to get off of it. I'd be a criminal because that's medication given out by a doctor and I'm not that kind of a doctor and so I can't take them off of it. But then I start working with them and you know what? I worked with this gal who was, had ODD, okay? Not ODD, OCD. And she started getting better. And, and I said to her, don't take yourself off the medication. Go back to your doctor. Go back to your doctor and check that out. Because that's what I wanted her to do. Well, she took herself off of it and had a terrible time. That is what I would do. But yeah, somebody, if they're a friend, um, I, I would want to find out what is it that's causing that. What is it that they want so badly that they have this uh, mood swing? Okay? All right. Anyone else? Got some hands down here. Oh, okay. I got a friend who's says he comes to church, though it sounds like he reads the Bible as though it's a homework assignment. So it's like in and out. I know he'll tell me he read Psalms. Is it that... He's not a Christian, or is it that he doesn't believe that the Word can change him? I, I certainly can't speak to the issue of his salvation. Jesus is the one who does that. Um, but I would encourage him, okay, what did you learn on Sunday? When you listen to the pastor preaching, and this is what I do with my counselees. If you listen to Pastor MacArthur on Sunday, what did you hear, and how are you changing? Sometimes we get people from other churches Okay, did you listen to your pastor? What did your pastor say? Sometimes they, they'll say, yeah, he, he just talked about Independence Day. He didn't do anything about the Bible. And I said, why are you there then? Okay, I don't, I'm not a sheep stealer, but why are you there? Go someplace where they're teaching the Word of God because that's supposed to be what enriches us each and every week. And I got to tell you, there's 168 hours in a week and that's only one hour. I need a lot more enriching. Yes. Question. Oh, Mary. I'm sorry. Mary's got Mike. Uh, my question is, I have a friend who has a, a child, supposedly who's ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I have a pretty good relationship with the child and the family. I, I don't want to be judgmental and say this kid is not ADHD. But this kid is just not listening to being being defiant with the parent. How do you, in a non-judgmental way, encourage the parent? Look, your kid needs discipline, not excuses. That's one of the hardest things to do is to tell a parent they're not doing a good job. Anybody here want to volunteer? (laughs) That's very hard to tell that parent. But what you do want to say is, um, and I don't know that they're on Ritalin or, um, what's the other one, Adderall. Uh, There's different drugs that they can take for that particular malady. And um, I I would just say what that child needs is to come to our Sunday school classes, to go to our our, um, Bible club that we had here, the Vacation Bible Club, all of those kinds of things. That's what's necessary. The child needs to get saved. You know, John MacArthur actually, and please don't tell him. I know none of you will. But he used to say that if um, uh, ADD was around when he was a kid, 
he would have been ADD times two. Okay? He was a very um, outgoing, kind of a restless kind of person. And my wife knows that I was always in trouble as a kid. I would have been the same thing. That's, that's just a child. What happens is this teacher, and I don't mean if you're a teacher here, I'm not trying to step on your toes or anything, but teachers would rather have that kid quieted so they can teach the rest of the class while that troublesome kid is in the back there quiet. And, and, and you know what? That troublesome kid may just be very energetic and have other things on his mind. So that's what you have to work with. Matter of fact, one of our sessions in the, in the third level is on ADD. And I take people through that and how parents can help them. So I can get you the notes on that, Mary. I uh, saw so other mic. Okay, you got two of them. Oh, oh I'm sorry, Miss. Go ahead, please. Ladies first, yeah, please. please. <laughs> Thank you for the talk. Um, I can see the truth in a lot of what you're saying. Um, it seems to me that, at least in the way I'm thinking about it right now, it seems like there are some things that psychologists diagnose that we uh, can see a chemical cause for, or at least can see. I'm sorry, I didn't know. Sorry. I didn't hear that last part. Yeah, it seems to me that there are some things that psychologists sometimes diagnose that we do know of a chemical cause for, at least have strong evidence that there is one. Like, I think we know, I'm, I'm not a biologist, but I think we do know a good bit about the way that traumatic memories are stored differently. Um, there's, if I can use this example, um, uh, female hormone fluctuations over the course of the month, if you feel depressed one week. I've never but heard of such a thing, hormone yeah, fluctuations over a month. Um, but so it seems, I'm worried, I'm a little bit concerned that if we say that um, things like feeling depressed that aren't in themselves a sin are due to sin, mm-hmm. when in fact it seems like at least in some cases they might be due to a chemical cause, we'll end up like Job's friends uh, saying that something is due to sin when it might not be. Uh, so what would you say about cases where there is a chemical cause? Are there no such cases? Show or what the, should we say in those cases? I would say show me the data. That's what I'm going to do. Show me the data. Show me the... I want to see the numbers. I, I would venture to say um, they're going to come up short. But yes, doctors do use that. And uh, they probably have studies that would show it, but then I'm going to find a whole bunch of other studies that say, say no, that's not what does that. So I, I don't know that I want to go by that. I want to go by the Word of God rather than a study that man makes. And man is going to be wrong because he's man. I mean, he's just typically is, yeah. he's going to be, um, uh, he's going to change as he gets more information. It's going to change and change and change. And so that, that's where I would want to go. I, don't, I would like to see the data and then take it to a doctor that I know can help me. Okay? Thank you. Yes, sir. Hey, good morning. Uh, I'm pursuing a career in the public kind of space. I make online content, live streaming, things like that. So I tend to interact with a lot of people. Well, I mean, I don't know what their spiritual lives are like, but a lot of them are unsaved, and um, sometimes they... I'm I'm kind of in, you know, I'm former military, so I get a lot of young guys that come in and talk to me about, you know, their ambitions for joining the military. And sometimes they share with me some of the stuff that they're going through in their lives. And uh, so I guess my question is, how should I see myself in relation to them? Like when they share with me, like I'm having these weird thoughts, I'm having, I'm having pro- trouble with my parents, I'm having mm-hmm. trouble like that. So, so I'm, like kind of the framework is like, how do I What's that kind of relationship like? I, I think that relation is no different. Uh, I spent 15 years in, uh, as a salesman, okay, for a fabric company. And when I got saved, I then used that as an opportunity to bridge into bringing the gospel to these unsaved 
uh, women and homosexuals because my clientele were homosexuals or women. And so I would be able to speak to them, but about the truth of God's word and, and those kinds of things. That's what I would bring up. Matter of fact, just to tell you one little story, I was teaching Sunday school for the kids and uh, I had this whole lunch table of all of these designers from the Hilton Design Company and, and I'm sitting with them and I said, you know, I got the Sunday school lesson to teach on Sunday. How would you do that? Do you know what? Everybody has an opinion. They really do. And they all start shooting out. And this one guy gave me the exact lesson. I said, you knew the scriptures. How did you know that? And he was brought up in the church. Okay, not this church. Um, but he was brought up in the church. So I, that, you bridge, you think about it before time. How do I bridge a conversation about Jesus Christ? That's what you're doing. Now you could be shutting off your business too. So that's where you have to tread lightly. So that's, I think that's what we're talking about there. I hope I answered that. Thank you for being a gentleman and letting the lady go first. Um, microphone, okay. Uh, how would you deal with autism? Is that the same thing you would apply? I cannot hear you. Uh, autistic children. Autistic. Yeah. Um, autism is a malady that's still being studied. Um, they have not found, at least to my knowledge, okay, um, matter of fact, Dr. Bob Smith did some studies on that. They have not found an actual cause. They just see the behavior afterwards. I think there are some things there that man doesn't know yet. How would I handle an autistic child? No different than I would handle um, my granddaughter who happens to be special needs. And you have special time and you have special care for them. And my, my, daughter, my granddaughter, who I'm going to go see later tonight, um, is probably the best kid in the class. We had a... Um, a Down syndrome child who used to be in, in mainstream through our children's ministry. He was the best kid in the class, not because he wanted to be, because his parents had trained him to be. And, and that's what the difference is, is there's some training there. And again, I've not had too much interaction with autistic, uh, but I then ask myself, as I read about it, some autistic children are cured. How... How does that happen? If it's a disease, how do they get cured? I think that's something we need to keep open that we don't know. That we don't know. Yes, sir. Yeah, Bill, I uh, realize that uh, I read it on television and I, and I see it in all the articles that are written in the newspapers about people are being depressed to the point of being suicidal. We're having more suicide in this country than ever before. And uh, it's one of the major reasons why people are being isolated from this pandemic 19 disease. And I, I see all the re results because of a lack of understanding and being spiritually discerning in the Word of God where they can understand the reason why they have all, all, no contact with their family relations and there's no contact with any reliable source of where they can gain the knowledge and help understand why they're in the situation they're in. Could you cover that a little bit about people? Um, actually, I do a to our session on suicide. Um, I was asked to go to Croatia and speak to um, a school board, school teachers, and the mayor of the town. You can't do that in America, but you can do it in Croatia. 
and uh, to speak on suicide. Why is there um, a growth in suicide? Why is it growing? Is because people are feeling helpless, hopeless. When you have no hope, why go on? So if you don't have any hope, then you do those things. But where do we find our hope? The Word of God. We find it in God. And that's what these folks need, is that they need Jesus Christ. Some of those folks, I'm not going to throw it all on the pharmacology and all of that kind of stuff, but some of those folks are on a lot of drugs already, and they wind up doing that. It's my opinion, not the opinion of Grace Church. I want to keep them out of this. Because if I go to jail, I'll go to jail on my own. It's my opinion that some of those drugs actually cause it. Okay? I I don't want to see Grace Church get hurt by that. Just send me to jail. So I think the drugs do a great damage to people. And, And I can show some of these other books here that I've read. I even had this one fellow here. His name is Whitaker. And he's not even a Christian, and he blames the drugs for most of the problems in America. So, any other questions? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, Bill, for your teaching, for shedding light in this dark area. Um, You talked about the boundaries or the borders come up with medication. And uh, related to Ron's question, um, I know... Uh, Don Carr is pre, uh, teaching on helping the suicidal, so I know it's obviously there's a lot of crossover. But my question is when and how and why would external interventions take place? I'm sorry, ex- external, external help, uh, external persons be brought in. Well, I think if you love somebody, you would want to have them get help immediately. Um, you would want them to go to the to, to uh, the church, I think, for counsel. Uh, some cases, maybe they need to go to a doctor. What else could it be? There's plenty of other things that you can be sick with. Did you know that, folks? You, you can be sick with diabetes. You could be sick with uh, thyroid that you don't even know it's uncontrolled. You know, all kinds of things that you need to have looked at before you get to that hopeless stage of I might as well just die if I'm going to be this sick all the time. Those kinds of things. So... I would have them checked out by a medical doctor, okay? A true medical doctor, hopefully a Christian medical doctor. That would be my suggestion, okay? And again, the the rest of the... You know, I I had a a phone call one day at the office, and the lady says, I've got a gun, and I've got it to my head. What do you do with that? I've never had that happen before. I I, I mean, uh, I didn't learn that in seminary. I mean, how do you handle that? And, and I said to the woman, I said, could you do me a favor? This is before we had digital phones. I said, would you please uh, uh, give me your phone number just in case I lose your phone number and your address, just in case. I called up the police. I should say I had my secretary call the police. And they called the police and the police were there and outside and guess what? She did have a gun. And uh, they were able to go in and we started doing counseling with her and she's fine. But she had gotten to the end of her self, three kids, husband was working two different jobs, all those kinds of things. I think she was a homeschooler, but I'm not sure. And so 
that's where she went with it. I got to get, I got to get out of here. And some people do. And, and she came, she gave me a call. I, I don't have no idea why she gave me a call because I did not know her. But yeah, you, you want to see those things. You got to see the, the danger in it. I hope you had a good day and I'll see you another time.